Hey, welcome to the Lyric House Church podcast. Our mission is to host a house for him. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our live service. Make sure to check out our Facebook page for details about upcoming events and information on our small groups that meet throughout the week. Thank you for being part of our broader community, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. I don't like mics, just so you'll know. So if I start doing one of these, just go get it back up, because I also speak very, very softly. That's just part of my who I am very soft-spoken you want to know who I am well I'm trying to figure that out too you know by the time I leave this place I'll have it figured out Uh, we've been here for we moved out here from Lenexa about five years ago so we've been living out here now for five years just trying to find out where we belong and stuff but we've kind of been around the block a few times originally from Arkansas by the way this is my wife back here Ramona we kind of sneak in here and sneak out a lot I I'm an introvert so that's just so you know that and you go okay if, if you want to get to know david you got to push at him a little bit <laughs> one guy said we were really really good friends and he said it took me six months to get this guy just to sit down and talk with me and have coffee <laughs> that's pretty much the way i live but um and this is my daughter over here this is my oldest so i have four kids and the rest is my oldest and she's a blessing to us and has been since she was born so Whenever Jason said that, you know, David's a prophet, that's kind of scary to me. I think that we all have some prophetic around us. That's been, but the reality is I really, that's what I do in the body of Christ. I travel for that. I pray for uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of people every year. And most of it's behind the scenes. Uh, I do a lot. Um, like <laughs> right now I have a friend over in England and he's meeting all these people. So he sends me a list of names, you know, 15, 20 names that I whack. And I go, I'm not going to do 15, 20 names every day, just so you understand. Because <laughs> it takes, if I really have the time, I take about two hours for a person and spend time just asking the Lord about them. And the neat thing is, is I never meet them. I don't ask for last names. I want to know first names. And the reason is, is I don't want it to be tainted by anything. I don't look up information. And that's, that's there's a lot of guys that are out there that play games. I don't play games. And uh, I don't want to be known as a prophet. I want to be known as David Taylor that happens to get a word from the Lord every once in a while. How's that? <laughs> Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the way we should walk. Uh, to, I, a couple of things I want to go over real quick. One of them is the song that you were singing about being in his presence. Not the, the last one, but the, the one before that. This morning I got up and about probably three weeks ago, the Lord said, I want you to start reading Psalm 27 every morning. And about two weeks into it, I go, you know, Lord, why am I reading this every morning? (laughs) And he goes, well, it's your testimony. And I go, it is, isn't it? He knows me. And by the way, since my name's David, he is pretty works pretty well. So this morning, I hadn't told Mona that. And this morning, we were sitting there just drinking a cup of coffee. And I said, you know, the Lord's been telling me to read Psalms 27 every morning. And so I read it to her and said, doesn't this describe our life? And she goes, yeah. And then we get here and you're singing. I go, I think God may be in the house. He's got my number. But um, so that was pretty exciting for me. It's just always exciting. Good to see you. Moved all the way up here. Well, we took his babies. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding Don't let them have They'll They'll be out of here. One of the things that I'm known for, basically, I tell stories more than I preach. And so I'll tell some stories. 
because I think that illustrates sometimes what God's doing. I'll probably minister to a few people at some point. Uh, I'm not going to get into that real deep, I don't think, today. You don't know me, and I want you to trust me before I start going nuts on you. But I'm going to go way back, and then I'm going to come to today. When I was about 20 years old, 21 years old, somewhere along in there, I went to a retreat down in Louisiana. I'd only been a Christian a short time. And uh, by the way, when I got saved, I saw my first healing the first week I got saved. And I thought everybody did that. <laughs> and I started talking to people in the streets, you know, and God, God would tell me about people. So I started ministering that way, and I would have really weird experiences, like the Lord would tell me to get my car, and he'd tell me where to go. And then I would drive places, and he would go, oh, go to that door and knock on it. And I'd have these incredible experiences with people. And I thought everybody did that. Isn't that nuts? I found out that nobody does that. Because <laughs> I started running into conflict with people around me in the church because they didn't know what to do with me. But about two years into it, three years into it, I was at a retreat. And there's probably about 600 of us. We were all college students. We were down in, in Louisiana. And um, I was sitting in the very, very back, being an introvert, go to the very, very back and sit there. And the Lord says, I want you to stand up and read a passage of Scripture. And I go, here with all these people? And he goes, yeah, I want you to read a passage of Scripture. So I looked it up, and this is what it is. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. It's Isaiah 61. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, pro to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, to call on gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so I'm sitting there, I'm sweating, I'm going, my God, you want me to stand up in front of all these people and just start talking? And he goes, yeah, I'll tell you when. So I'm all prepared. And when he launches me, I stand up and I start to speak. And then the guy that was up front leading worship, he just stops. He goes, I have a passage of scripture to read to you. And he starts reading this passage. And I didn't have to do it. I was going, Phew. and I go, what was that about, Lord? He said, not only is that for the body, this is for you. This is for you. This is your call, David. This is your mission. This is, who you, this is what you were made for. And I took it really seriously. Obviously, you can tell. So today, I'm actually going where into Luke, where Jesus is coming to preach his first sermon. And it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up and read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That has become the theme of my life, and I was I joined a number of years ago. I joined a new movement out in California. It was back in, in 1980s, uh, early 80s. And it was called the Vineyard. And this was one of their primary messages. Everywhere we went, this was the message we spoke. And it's something that's the, that, it's not just about speaking, it's about living it out. It's about doing it and stuff. And we like to talk about things, but it's scary to do them. You know, it's really scary to do some of this stuff. And yet, if we get over the fear, and by the way, I don't think you get over the fear. I think you get confident in what God can do when you just do what he asks you to do. So I want to talk about this a little bit. Uh, by the way, this uh, this is actually, a, I actually type notes. I probably won't use them very much, but they're there. <laughs> but at the top it says, this means war. Basically, this was a declaration of war. This is, this is literally warrior language. To free the prisoners, the captives, the, the root word in the Greek actually means the spear. In other words, they've been taken captive. Who takes them captive? The evil one. The evil one. And we have all been hit by the evil one multiple times. Our job is to set people free from the, the things that the evil one has done to them. And so that's part of what I like to do. And so, so I have this um, kind of a thing. This is my little phrase. I go a lot of places, and this is a phrase I'm known for. We are ordinary people doing ordinary things with an extraordinary God. And basically what that's saying is, I don't think that we walk around. There are some guys I know, I have a friend. You can't go, literally, you cannot go to a restaurant with him unless he's over talking to somebody, leading them to Jesus. And they're over there crying. And, and I just go, come on, guy. I, I just came to eat a burrito. You know, I just want to eat my burrito. And you know, he'll do this thing. The first time we ever met, this is the way it works. First time we ever met, uh, somebody wanted to introduce us. So we meet at a Panera. And we're eating a sandwich, and he goes, he said, did you see the guy that walked by us? No, I wasn't paying attention. I'm actually having a conversation with you. And he goes, he, this other guy, this guy walks back by, and he goes, did you see the guy then? I said, yeah. What about it? He goes, well, what do you see about him? I don't know. And he goes, well, I've heard about you. And he goes, do you have a word for him? And I go, just give me a second. Yeah, I do. He goes, what is it? I don't know. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, oh, the Lord told me when I stand in front of him, I'll know what to tell him. Let's just go over and introduce ourselves. <laughs> By the way, I do not like doing this. Don't. Okay. <laughs> so I walk over to the guy, and he was an older gentleman. He's probably about my age, so he's an older gentleman. And he was a gentleman. I'm not necessarily a gentleman. And I said, excuse me, sir, but, you know, my name's David. This is my friend, Mike. And um, we saw you come by a few minutes ago, and I have something I'd like to say to you, if you don't mind. I just have impressions about people. And he goes, really? I said, well, and then all of a sudden it hits. And I go, the first impression I have is you have many, many children, but you've never had any children of your own. And he's got his computer open. He starts lowering his computer. And he's looking at, what is this guy? He's an odd person. And then I said, I also heard this, that you're fiscally, F-I-S-C-A-L. In other words, you don't have money. And you need a way to provide in your old age. And God has made a way for you because you've been faithful your whole life. 
And this guy's going, who are you? Well, I told you I'm David, and this is Mike. <laughs> and I said, do you want to tell us about yourself? And he had been a missionary in Thailand his whole life. He had never married, never had natural children, but he had many spiritual sons and daughters. And he developed some health problems due to age and everything else that happens as we go through life. And so he had to come back and he had no way to support himself because he'd given everything he had away. And so the Nazarene University over across town gave him a job because in the missions department, wouldn't you do that? Guy spent his life doing this. And so he was being taken care of. And that is just a word of encouragement and blessing for him. He was terrified though. <laughs> it was really funny because Mike's a good Nazarene and he was on the campus a couple weeks later and the guy saw him and when he saw him, he took off the other way. <laughs> but we're there to bring an encouraging word and a blessing and a word of comfort from the Lord to bring freedom because he needed freedom. He needed to know that God had his back. He also needed to know that God honored him because he had given his life to raise up spiritual sons and daughters. I think that's pretty cool, isn't it? It works real well. But that's kind of what we're here for. And I call it this, we're ordinary people. In other words, I went in there to eat a sandwich with Mike and have a conversation. In the middle of the conversation, God interrupts us and says, oh, I have something for you to do. And then as soon as I finished that, I went back to eating my sandwich because we're ordinary people. Think about it. Think about it. We don't have to be spiritual all the time. We just have to be doing our normal stuff. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. But basically, the message is a declaration of war, but it was more than words. There's action to it. Have you ever noticed something that whenever Jesus spoke, something happened with people? And sometimes he would do something, and then he would speak to explain what had just happened to them. And this is the basic, the primary message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come among you. And what that's saying is, because I am here as an emissary of the king, then things are going to happen that are redemptive in purpose. They're going to change your life. They're going to touch you in significant ways. And, and then I will explain what happened to you. Or I will explain what's going to happen to you, and then something's going to happen. Oftentimes, you'll notice that he speaks, he either heals the sick, he casts out a demon, or he speaks into somebody's life about their destiny. Those are the things he does. So I have this thing, I call, I call it my toolbox. Whatever the person needs is in the toolbox. If I open the toolbox and it's not a time to be doing it, there's nothing in there. In other words, I can't drum something up. But sometimes he'll go, why don't you open your toolbox and see what's there? And I will open it up and I go, ooh, there's a healing in there. That's interesting. Who's it for? And then he'll point at somebody. I do this at work. And now, by the way, I'm retired. It's a good thing. <laughs> but this is the way it works. The last place I worked was about two years ago, and there was a, a gentleman there named Salvador. And Salvador, good salesman, you know, but I worked at Nebraska Furniture Mart just before I retired. And uh, Salvador is one of the top salesmen, really nice guy. And one day I was watching him work with somebody, and we were working in mattresses and the people were laying and trying out the mattress. By the way, that's really uncomfortable to be a mattress salesman, just so you know. Somebody asked me one time, can we cuddle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> and stuff. But they're, they're laying down and I looked at Salvador and I saw he looked uncomfortable. 
So I walked over and he goes, Sal, you okay? He goes, I'm in such pain I can't breathe. And he had had back surgery a couple of years before. And he said, I, I can't breathe. He said, I'm really hurting. And I go, just stand there. And he goes, why? I said, just stand there. And I put my hand on his back and I started going up with my finger and I go, is it right here? And he goes, yes, it is. And I go, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. Did you know that your touch is a form of prayer? Jesus touched. So I just stood there for about two minutes and I go, how, how is it now? And he goes, 90% better. And I, I said, well, come to me later and we'll finish it off because he's able to go back and, and just keep working. So that evening after we got off work, I prayed for him. And the next morning we came in, I go, how you doing? He goes, hmm, I'm doing really well. He goes, you're a good man. I said, no, you're a good man. He goes, no, you're a good man. I said, no, he is a good father. And he's, he's Catholic. <laughs> and he's... Nur, 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 nur. <laughs> but isn't that cool? See, that's being ordinary. I mean, I'm in there working. He's working. And then there's something that you see that needs to be done. And you step up and God uses you to touch them in a very simple way. You know, it didn't have to be a sermon. It didn't, by the way, the prayer was probably under a minute. It doesn't have to be these laborers things that we don't have to make a spectacle. The people that he was waiting on probably didn't even know what was going on. They probably thought it was a little funny. I had my arm over here, but <laughs> yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> but the reality is that's normal. That happened there all the time. One of my favorite stories there, though, is just we are presence carriers. I don't know if you know this, but you carry the presence of the Lord. The problem is, is we often don't realize it, but other people around us sense something different when we're around them. And there was a guy named Cartier, and Cartier is, he's huge, let's put it that way. He's a big guy. And um, he was a gangbanger in his, in his past. I mean, he literally shootouts in the streets of Detroit. And a very interesting guy. And one day I'm walking in with him. And, of course, I have nothing in common with this man. You know, I'm an old geezer. He's a young guy. And he's got the cool factor and all that stuff going on. And um, I'm walking in. And the Lord says, I want you to talk to Cartier. And I go, excuse me? Uh, Cartier and I have nothing in common, buddy. And he goes, just go over to him. I walk up to him. I go, hey, Cartier, can I talk to you for a minute? We're just walking in. Can I talk to you? And he says, why? I said, well, you're a Barnabas. Do you know what a Barnabas is? He goes, a Barnabas what? I go, well, Barnabas, this guy, in a, he was in the Bible, and he was an encourager. He found people and called them into their destiny. Think about Paul. Called them into their destiny and was just an encourager of them. And so that's what he did. And he goes, you know, you sound like my aunt. His aunt's a prophetess. You know, <laughs> found out later. And then Cartier was not living in the best life, let's put it that way. And so one day we're standing there talking and we started getting to know each other and we're standing there talking and all of a sudden he goes, I got to get away from you. I think it was I offensive. You know, we're chit chatting about sports. And he goes, no, when I'm around you, the hair on my arms stand on end. And he goes, look at that. And he goes, this is just weird. He said, I got to get out of here. And he starts, I said, no, 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 don't, don't walk away. And I, I put my hand on his shoulder and I go, more yeah. and he really got weird he goes oh man he takes off but now he moves in that he's actually training to be a pastor it took time to get him there does that make sense but the reality is those are moments that God orchestrates we don't make them up God makes them up
and all we have to do is be obedient to it. And is, is that a big thing? Tell him he's a Barnabas. Well, that's deep and heavy, isn't it? But once you say the word Barnabas, all of a sudden you begin to see other things around somebody. So that's kind of the way it works. And I'm not going to go through this whole chapter, otherwise you'd be, we'd be here for three or four weeks. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I wrote this down. With every calling comes an appropriate anointing. With every calling. In other words, we don't. I don't go out. You know, I've heard some really weird stories. People going out laying on graves of saints. <laughs> looking for their, their mantle. I'm going, the only mantle I want is the one that God wants to give me. That's the only one I want. And I've seen over the years it becomes progressively stronger. And things happen around you where when you're obedient, things get added to what he's already given you. You run into the right people. They pray for you. You're in a room with somebody. You're just in a room alone with the Lord. And he begins to talk to you about what he's made you for. That'll really weird you out. And you go, me? And he goes, you. No, no, me. This is David. Yes, you. When I was young, I had this phenomenon that everywhere I went to visit, I got called out. So you know, I went into one meeting. My aunt called me. And she said, we're having this, this group in, uh, is coming in from Oral Roberts University, and they're going to be ministering. I think you'd like to come and see what they're about. So I went, and there's about 800 people there. And I took a date, and we're sitting on the back row. And I began to weep like an idiot. And I was crying, and I couldn't quit. And that's not a manly thing to do on your date. And, I, and she's looking at me, and people around me are looking at me, and I can't, I can't quit crying. And I'm getting all snotty. It's terrible and stuff. And this, this concert's going on, and I'm going, it's not that good. <laughs> and then this young man starts preaching, and he gives an altar call, and people are coming forward. By this time, it's uncontrollable. I cannot control myself. The only time this has ever happened, by the way. And I'm sitting there just weeping, and the guy goes, stop, stop everything you're doing. And, of course, people are coming forward to get saved. I'm thinking, that's pretty important. And he goes, there's a young man back here somewhere. And the Spirit of the Lord is on you, and he's told you what, you, what he wants you to do, and you keep telling him no. Why don't you just say yes? And then everybody starts looking at me differently. <laughs> and the, my, my date's like, okay. <laughs> but it was God constraining me to do what he asked me to do. By the way, that wasn't the only time that happened. It happened several times where I would be called out before I finally said yes. It took me two years to say yes because I did not want to be what I have become. I am a reluctant prophet. Have you noticed that all the prophetic callings, every time God comes to him, oh, but you don't understand. No, you, you don't understand. I don't want to do that. You don't understand. I'm not equipped to do that. He goes, that's okay, because the anointing is the equipping. The anointing is the equipping, not skill sets. Now, there are anointings that people have. I was uh, in Nashville, and they asked me to come and pray for people. And I do that a lot. I just, I just go and walk into a room and start praying for people. And the first guy that walked in the room, he big dude, and he had a hammer in his hand. But nobody else could see the hammer because there really wasn't a hammer there. So when we got ready to start the ministry time, he's the only one I knew anything about. And I go, uh, what's your name? He goes, Andy. I go, well, that's interesting. I go, uh, when you walked in the door, I saw you with a hammer in your hand. I'm going to call you Handy Andy. And the whole place starts laughing because they all know each other. And I go, and I talked to him a little bit more. I said, what's the deal? Why everybody laughed when I called you Handy Andy? He says, well, 
He said, I lost my job. He said, I was like a, a, a vice president in a company. The, the, the company fell apart. And he said, so I had to do something. He said, I've always liked just putzing with carpentry. So I started a company called Handy Andy. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? He, that year, he was the, voted as the number one startup business in their community. He's now a contractor because he had a calling not only to be a believer, not only to serve Jesus, but also to serve as a carpenter. And he's really good at it. Isn't that fun? Because he not only are callings in things of spiritual nature, but they're in the natural as well. Some of you were made to be lawyers, doctors, truck drivers. Thank God for truck drivers. Some of you are called to be carpenters. Some of you are called to, to, to lay bricks and stones. And there's a lot of different callings. And in the process of that, we're just ordinary people. And God uses us to touch people. I was, I was a minister for 13 years as a professional. And God, God told me, you're going to do something else. I'm like, no, I'm not. I've been trained. I've spent a lot of money on this. I've been doing it for 13 years. And within, literally within weeks, I was in Arkansas. came from California to Arkansas again working in a greeting card company. Why would you want to do that? And I found out that I was really good at business. I was really good as a professional. I became a writer. I eventually came up to, to Hallmark, spent 22 years there. And guess what? Led a lot of people to the Lord. So we had, in one, one of our departments, we had a healing ministry because the Spirit of the Lord was there. And how does that happen? I put up a plaque outside my booth that said, Heating Evangelist, right here. I went into the department, and I'm walking through one day. Well, if this is the way it works, this is funny. I go in, I said, the first day there, this, this woman pops in my door, and she goes, oh, I'm going to be one of your partners. I go, cool. She goes, we talked for about three or four minutes. She goes, well, i got to go. She said, do you see angels? Now, is that a weird thing to ask at work? And I go, well, actually I do. And then she takes off running. And a couple of days later, this other woman shows up and she goes, I understand you see angels. Good night, what even brought this up? How did this happen? So I'm like, okay, this is bizarre. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, we're working right now. How about if we sit down at lunch and just have a conversation? So at lunch, we sit down and uh, we go into a planning room and we're eating our lunch and she goes you see them don't you and there was about 15 of them in there and uh, she goes I've seen them ever since I was a young child I thought well that's interesting but she wasn't living a very holy life and then it was probably about two weeks later I'm walk I walk in and I walk by a couple of people and she's standing there and my back starts hurting and I go well it wasn't hurting a minute ago and I went and sat down and it quit hurting and I go what was that about he goes she has a back problem and I want to touch her cool huh that's how God speaks he talks I say God is always speaking but he doesn't speak English does that make sense so I go, hey, Candy, when you're free why don't you come over and I need to talk to you so she came over and she plopped down she said what is it and I go, well, do you have a back problem? It's right here, and it does this. She goes, yeah, for like well over 10 years. She said, it's there every day. And I said, well, would you like to get well? 
She goes, yeah, that'd be awesome. I said, well, how about at lunch if I pray for you? And I got the guy on the other side that I was getting to know, and he's a Catholic brother, and so I had him pray with me. And so she gets healed literally really fast. And it went on to redeem her life. She had been a Christian, had walked away from a lot of pain and came back. And before long, they were bringing people over to be prayed for. And they would come and God would heal them. The, the epitome of this was this. It says, what it, the, the, the passage that Jason read earlier is this. Those fivefold ministries are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry until we come into the place of unity. They are not there to create superstars. They're there to create equippers and stuff. So by the time, after a while, I had seven or eight people that were praying with me for the sick and they were doing really well. And one day I was out on business and I was in California and somebody came in and just been diagnosed with cancer that we worked with. We were a tight knit unit. We were about 100, 120 people in the unit. And so what happened is when they heard Tim, who's on the other side of the booth, who I'd been training, gathered people together. He gathered 30 people together, Christians, non-Christians. Most of them had no clue what they were doing. And they prayed for them. And they got radically healed. Went back to the doctor, got a clean bill of health. And I came back and I heard about it. And I go, the neat thing is, is when you become a father in the faith or a grandfather in the faith, or a great-great-grandfather in the faith. They didn't need me around. And the neat thing is, is a guy that had grown up Methodist and walked away, he'd been out of the church for over 20 years, he comes to my booth one day, he goes, can I talk to you? I said, sure, Steve, what's going on? He goes, I was in the room the other day when they prayed. I go, no, good, thank you for doing that. He goes, something came in the room. It was really big. (laughs) He said, what was that? I go, that's God's presence. That's God's presence. And he decided to rededicate his life to the Lord because the presence of the Lord visited them. And he saw the miraculous. That is the testimony of our lives. Not only who he is, but what he does among us. Make sense to you guys? But the anointing is what we walk in. It's not something that we can buy. I can't buy it anyway. But it says, the Spirit of the Lord also is this. Look at this. Isaiah 9, it talks about the Spirit of the Lord. I'm going to go to a couple of these passages because I'll probably, this is probably all I will talk about today, to tell you the truth. I have a lot of other things I could say. But Isaiah 9 says this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, making sure I'm reading the right place, the yoke, uh, you, have, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be the fuel for fire. 
When I'm talking about war, this is war. What we're doing is we're breaking the power of the enemy over people's lives when we do these things. It says, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And that's basically the Spirit of the Lord is the government of God coming into a place and beginning to change it. Coming into a place and changing the government that is in a place. When I went to Hallmark in the creative area that I was in, there was about 160 of us. And we, we were ranged out through the company, but the leaders, there was only one Christian among them. And I thought, this is wrong because the leadership is not going in a good way. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't for the people or by the people. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> So I tried getting people to intercede with me. Nobody would. I found a few Christians. They were all like, you're nuts. This is business. But I started praying, and within about two years, guess what? Only one person in our leadership was not a believer. It changed the atmosphere of the way we worked. And then they began to do something with me. They go, we like you. And I got four promotions in five years. They had to do them. They couldn't take me from here to here. They had to do it once a year is all they were allowed to do it and I got put in a place of authority because of the favor of God not because of skills although I have skills you know I'm good at what I do but isn't that incredible and you see the favor of God coming to a business you see and it's a huge place there were 6,000 people in the building many people began to come to a place of faith many people began to renew their faith because the government of God was beginning to become manifest. Jesus, everywhere he went, what? He changed the communities. You think about this. Think about what happens with Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking through a town. There's a little guy, short little guy, and he couldn't see very well, so he climbed up in a tree. Jesus is walking through. It was a parade, if you want to put it that way. It was a parade. The celebrities come to town. We've all been there. And Jesus stops, looks up at him, and goes, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to eat lunch with you. Now, how did he know his name? Have you ever thought about that? It was a divine appointment. His father goes, that's Zacchaeus up there. I want you to talk to him. By the way, I have friends that will do that. <laughs> this, is really, this is funny. We were in Georgia one time, and, and it was going to be a tough first time there. Three churches came together. We were doing a seminar. And... <laughs> And I'm sitting with my buddy. He goes, oh, by the way, you're preaching. I said, no, no, no. He said, there's three angels waiting for you up there. You're going to be okay. And I'm going, but I thought, you, no. He goes, you'll be okay. And he said, but we're going to start with ministering with that guy over there. He said, what do you see about him? I said, well, I see healing over him. He goes, I know his name and I know his birth date. We're visitors. So we get up there. I preach. It did okay. And then John comes up there and he goes, you back here, sir, is your name such and such? He gives him his first and last name. He goes, well, yeah. He goes, is your birthday such and such? And he goes, yeah. He looks at me, he smiles. He goes, it's going to be a good night. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You know, it was a good night. It was a good, good weekend. But the Spirit of the Lord brings wisdom. It brings understanding. It brings counsel. It brings might. It changes the atmosphere of where we are. We are change agents in the kingdom. That also does this. It means that we're at war, and it means that people are going to be coming at us that are opposed to the kingdom of God. 
So in the process of this, don't think it is a piece of cake. It is a war, and we have to be strategic in the way we fight, which means we do what the Lord asks us to do, not what we think we should do. We don't have to be religious. You know, I was telling the story yesterday, I think, with Craig. <laughs> I had a, a lady came to me. I was in a new department. They moved me around quite a bit. I found out what they did is they had problem places. They would put me in them because I changed things. So I'm, I'm, I'm fairly new in this department. She goes, we really like you here. She said, Every, ever since you've come here, things just got really settled down. They're more peaceful. And I go, good. I'm glad to hear that. I said, yeah, it's good to meet you. Good to know you too. And stuff. She goes, why are you so different than everybody else? And I go, well, I read a book once. And the book changed the way I thought about people and it changed the way I thought about what I wanted to be and what other people could be. And I'm talking to her about this theories about this book. And she goes, really? She said, can I borrow it? I said, sure. So I, I grabbed the Bible off the shelf and handed it to her. <laughs> she goes, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm really not. I said, that is the redemption thing. The message of the kingdom is what changes us. It brings freedom to us. Isn't that cool? So that's really where we're at. So, But he has anointed me. He's anointed all of us. But with every calling does come an, an anointing. If you read Romans 12, it says, that, it says this. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It says, give yourself as a holy sacrifice to God. And it says, if you have a ministry of prophecy, prophesy. If you have a ministry of teaching, teach. If you have a ministry of this, do this. If you have a ministry of being a great carpenter, do this. If you have a ministry of being a great athlete, do this. He will give you a platform where you shine in what you do. By the way, most of us are multifaceted. Does that make sense? I'm a father. I'm now a grandfather. I'm a writer. I'm a great businessman. I've done a lot. Of, I write great business plans. I'm very good at it. I uh, uh, preach sometimes. I heal the sick. I cast out demons. I prophesy. All those things are part of who we are. And we move from one to the other. We are ordinary people doing ordinary things, but the extraordinary God intervenes and breaks into our lives at times. One thing, too, that I, I want to touch on is the preaching the good news to the poor. Oh, by the way, one more thing on, on destiny. This is one of my favorite stories, so I use it quite a bit. There was a guy that started, I had a men's group in my neighborhood. God said, start a men's group in your neighborhood. And I said, who's going to want to sit around with me and talk about Jesus? You know, and, and he goes, all the guys that you coach, every one of their fathers highly regards you because you're a great coach and you're a nice guy. You don't yell at people. I don't yell at kids. It's not in me. So I asked and six of the people agreed to meet with me. So I thought, that's cool. And that was part of it. But one of our agreements was, because these guys were all, I, I would call them embryonic Christians. In other words, they had come to a place of faith at some point in their life, but they did not live very well. But we started talking just about being better fathers is where we started. And then God began to kick in the gear. But then they brought this guy one night, and the agreement was, if you come to this group, because this group is not about evangelism, this group is about growing up in the faith then you shouldn't be bringing non-Christians in because we're trying to do something here that you should be doing evangelism out of them. Well, they brought this guy in. I called Chuck. And I said, Chuck, you brought the guy. He's terrible. Why did you bring him to group? It's, we're going to have to go back to square one. you know. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, he's been married twice. 
And he's not a nice guy. That's why he's not married now. And he goes, how did you know that? I said, because God told me about him. He's not a nice person. I said, you need to talk to him and, and really lay the law down and tell him he needs to get born again. <laughs> so a couple days later, I get a phone call from the guy. <laughs> and he goes, Chuck says that, that you wanted to talk to me. I'm like, no, that's Chuck's job. <laughs> and I said, well, so I started telling him everything I knew. And he goes, how do you know all this? I said, because your father knows you. And he decided to be born again. And it was really fun because I do these things. I call them Holy Ghost parties. And I bring in prophetic guys that I know. And then I bring in a bunch of people. And I don't care if they're Christian or not at, that, at those things. And then I let these, I turn the prophets loose on them. <laughs> Isn't that mean? <laughs> well, I put Jamie in front of them. And one of them goes, well, he's a harvester. Now, they don't know anything except first names. He's a harvester. And one of the other guys goes, no, he's not. He's a healer. No, he's a harvester. And they get in an argument. The two prophets are arguing about what they see. And I go, guys, just finish everything else and we'll talk about it. Well, it turns out that Jamie was the transplant specialist for livers at KU Med Center. He's the guy that trained other people how to do liver transplants. So he harvests out of a dead person to heal somebody that's alive. And he just broke down and began to weep. He says, I've wanted to do this. And he's in his 50s. I wanted to do this since I was a child. Even before I knew him, he made me with a purpose and great destiny. Isn't that cool? Even before we knew him, he knew us and we were created with purpose. Jamie started taking a different look and guess what? He started praying for the people he was going to be operating on and the success rate began to rise begin to rise and I was in a church one time here locally and this guy came up and he had uh, liver cancer and uh, they were going to do a, a transplant on him and, uh, was, and he had also he had hepatitis C I mean it was it was his liver was a mess and he came up and I, I, I meet him he says this is my problem I go well is, is a guy named Jamie going to be the one doing the surgery and he goes yeah I said well when's the surgery he goes I'm number one on the list it's going to be in a couple of days so I prayed for him. I said, go tell Jamie I prayed for you and tell, tell him to check you again. So he went in. He has no cancer. He has no hepatitis C. And they wouldn't take him off the list because he had, he'd had kidney or liver disease for so long, they dropped him to the bottom of the list. So he's like 264 or something like that. <laughs> isn't that cool? And then Jamie and I talked about it later. You know, isn't that fun? Pretty fun, huh? But to preach good news to the poor, by the way, I'm going to, this is one of my favorite quotes. I've been using this ever since I got saved. 49 years. St. Francis said this, preach Christ daily, use words if you must. And what it's saying is this, the way you live is more important than what you have to say. If you're living like hell, don't expect heaven to visit. Does that make sense? If you aren't the good news, if you're the bad news, don't try to tell them the good news because they, have, they won't listen to you because you have not demonstrated the love of Christ toward them. You have not demonstrated that you're, you know, I don't care where somebody is. I care where they're going. So I, I hang around. <laughs> My wife can tell you this. I like hanging around with non-believers and I like playing with, I call it playing with their brains because I'm toying with who they are. And this is the way it works. Once again, a story. You notice I tell a lot of stories? 
one day I'm sitting there doing business with Becky, and I was, you know, Becky and I, we've worked together for a couple of years, and all of a sudden she starts yelling at me, and she's yelling things like this, you Republicans, and by the way, I never talk about politics at work, you Republicans are all, and she starts laying into me about all these things, and I'm going, okay, in my mind I'm going, well, this is really kind of offensive, and then I thought, there's got to be something motivating this. Why would she dump on me like this out of the blue? We were talking about a greeting card. And, and I said, uh, Becky, once she kind of went through her ranting and raving, I said, uh, Becky, it seems like that we need to talk. This is probably not the place. And that was really inappropriate. <laughs> she goes, I know. I said, how about if we eat lunch a couple days? So we set up lunch. And in the meantime, I went and I said, God, what is the problem? And he goes, she got saved. Now, she's in her 50s, late 50s. Said she got saved when she was 19 years old. I go, really? She doesn't act like it. He goes, I know. He said, I said, what happened? He said, six months later, she walked away. And I said, why? And he told me why. The church had not been very nice to her. So she walked away. And I said, well, what's the real issue here? Why would she yell at me? He said, well, she knows you're a person of faith. And she's never told her son about Jesus, and he's getting ready to go to college. And she realizes that she has failed. She's raised a great kid, but she hasn't even told him about eternal things. He's never been to church, never been given a Bible story, nothing. So we sit down to eat lunch, and I'm like, okay, I'm armed and ready. You know, got the information. And so I said, Becky, that was really interesting the other day. I said, why would you yell at me like that? She said, well, there's only two people that I trust. It's you and Tim, and both of you are believers, and you're just so kind. She said, I, I'm just reaching out for help. And I said, would you like for me to tell you what's wrong? And she looked at me funny. I said, well, you got saved when? She goes, how did you know that? I said, know your father. <laughs> know your father. And I, I said, what happened? And she told me about the way they had treated her and the reason she left. And I said, well, you do realize he's never let you go. That's why you're so tormented now. So we talked about that, and I said, and what you're really tormented about is the fact that your son has never heard the name of Jesus in a positive way. And she began to weep, and everybody, we're in a corporate dining room, <laughs> and people are looking, <laughs> she's oh, you know, and stuff. And I said, well, I said, let's pray about that. I said, you still have a chance to rectify it. She said, but he leaves just, you know, shortly. Well, about four years later, he applies to Hallmark to come in for an internship. And they gave him a mentor. Yeah, that's the way it works. That's kingdom dynamic. You can't make that happen. It just happens. Now, by the way, he, he actually came to me and said, I don't want to be a Christian. That was literally a statement out of his mouth. And so I said, I've never asked you to. In fact, I've never witnessed to you, have I? He goes, no, but my mom tells me about you. And by the way, we, we are really good friends. I assume that God has his number. I don't have to have his number. God has his number. I am part of the interaction of God with him, but I am not the complete interaction. Some plant, some water, and some reap. And you may be given the opportunity at any one of those stages, at any given time. But when we see the poverty, what we're looking at is the poverty of people economically, 
We see the poverty of people spiritually, emotionally. And one of the things we need to do is step up and begin to speak into their lives. Things that are hopeful. Bring hope to them. Ask God what would bring hope to them. You know, I was telling you about Salvador Sr. a while ago. Salvador Jr. also worked with me. And one day I went back in the office to get something. And he's sitting there not working. By the way, we worked on commission. You don't eat if you don't work. And I go, Sal, what are you? He goes by Sal. Sal, what are you doing in here? He says, man, I can't sell a thing. He says, I've been out there four hours. I haven't sold anything. And he was going through a divorce and all kinds of terrible stuff, you know. <laughs> I go, well, Sal, you're going to get your butt back out there. And here's what we're going to do. And I reached over and I touched him on the shoulder. I said, Father, open up the windows of heaven for this man. Sell a couple of cows and let him make some money. And I said, go. Two hours later, he comes up to me. He walked out the door. Somebody stopped him, placed a $4,000 order. Then he finished with that one. Somebody's waiting for him with a $3,500 order. He walked away from that one and got another $3,500 order. The normal order was $1,000. So he made more money than I did. And I just went and I said, what about me? <laughs> you know, what about this boy? But when I left, he hugged me and he says, he got his marriage back together. We talked to him about being a faithful man and talked to him about the issues of how he treated his wife. And he began to change and she came back. And by the way, it's now been almost four years. When I left, he hugged me. He says, where do I go? What? I need a father. I said, well, you got Salvador. And he goes, no, I need a spiritual father. Somebody that speaks into my life in those ways. We are, are called to nurture other people. We are called to the poor to touch their hearts and to change who they are. Does this make sense to you guys? Okay. <laughs> like I said, there's a lot here and it's getting late. So I'm gonna do something. Can I shift gears? Can I minister to a couple of people? Is that okay? Positive? Can I minister to your son? Chase, is that that's your name right? Come up here. Don't you love this kind of stuff? I saw you the other day. You walked by. Have we ever had a personal conversation, really? Yeah, I'm not very personable, am I? <laughs> No, um, this is interesting because what I, when you walk by that Isaiah 9 passage the other day, the, the Lord spoke to me this. He said, this, this young man will carry the government on his shoulders. He will carry the gov government on his shoulders. And this is high and lofty. This is, this is going to be years before you come into this in its fullness. But it starts now. And it starts in who you are. It's, you're already living it. And you're choosing the way that you're going to walk. And you're choosing the way that you're going to touch other people. And you're choosing the way that you build friend upon friend upon friend. Because you see how this relationship affects this one over here and affects that one over there. Because you have wisdom and you have understanding that's beyond your years. You're far beyond your peers. And at the same time, you're going, I'm totally inadequate. You are. Whenever, whenever God calls David... It, and anoints him king. It's seven years before he have his, ever has authority over a tribe. He has two. It's 13 years 
before he comes in where all 12 tribes follow him. And it's 21 years. It says, and David said, peace came on the land. And David realized that he was now king of Israel. Joseph was 17. Well, you're probably about that, aren't you? 16. Joseph was 17 when he got a dream. He was 39 when the dream actually was accomplished. In between there, he got to be a slave. He got to go to prison. And then he got to be the number two guy in power in the world. And then his brothers show up. And, and his heart has been changed. His brother's heart. It's a process. But the government will be upon your shoulders. I saw, saw business written over you. And I saw leadership in that. I saw you being able to build teams. I saw also that there's an issue of the kingdom that will strike you and it will become more and more strong in your life to where you can't say no. God is after you in so many ways and you just keep going, would you just leave me? See, when I was 15, the Lord came for me and I told him to come back when I was 30. <laughs> so when I was 18 sitting in the pizza hut, I began to shake like a leaf and God got me and I got saved in the pizza hut because the power of God fell on me because there were some people in my church praying for me. And they said, God, if you redeem David Taylor, we'll change the youth of the church. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Sorry, I put you in such a hard place. I also heard this, Isaiah 55. It says, basically, I want to call you this. You're a divine invitation for people. So this is the way it works. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed, endowed you with splendor. God has placed upon you that thing that attracts people, that makes people want just to sit down and have a conversation with you. And you're going, why do they want to talk to me, and, and why would I want to talk to them? There's, there's an attraction around you, and it's the Spirit of the Lord. And so learn to yield to that and, and receive people where they're at. And when you do that, you're inviting them to come and feast on what they do not have. And they know it. They, they've experienced stuff, and they're going, it did not satisfy me. You are a divine invitation. And I think God's given you a divine invitation. Does this make sense to you? And I said, I'm sorry if it's embarrassing you a little bit, but I kind of like to embarrass people sometimes too. And everybody in here will be going, there he is. He's one of those. I get that a lot too, so it's okay. So Father, we just thank you for Jace. Thank you for the way that you've created him to be, to literally grow up in a place of, of you searching for him and him just saying yes occasionally. And the more you say yes, the more it will grow over you. And you will walk in greater and greater ways and greater influence. And uh, I'm going to put it this way. The Lord has you on a short leash, which means you'll probably do some stupid things, which most of us do. I still do. I'm old. But when you do something stupid, he yanks on it. And he goes, no, I'm not going to allow that in your life. So I, I think you're on a short leash, which is a good thing. He's guiding you. And he's going to do great things in your life. So, Father, we do thank you for Jace. 
thank you for what you're creating in him and for all the influence that he'll have. In your name we pray. Amen. We can talk more sometime. Is that okay? Okay. You back here. Yeah. No, no, no not, not you. This guy right here. The big guy. What's your name? Y'all yeah, come up here. I can't hear very well. I'm old. Matt. Matt? Yes. Oh, that's a straightforward name. I'm, mine is too. I call it a meat and potatoes name. Yeah. Come over here. Jason knows this, but I, I carry this little notebook. And when people are worshiping, I don't sing very well. <laughs> so you don't want to hear me sing. But I write notes about people. That's what I do. And sometimes you're sitting here, and sometimes they're in California, New York, somewhere else. But then I, I give them words. That's what I do. Um, and so I, you caught my eye over here. And I go, oh, he's an interesting-looking guy. And I wrote down Psalm 32 as a beginning place. It says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. What I saw is God's really made you a man of... Jesus calls it with um, one of the guys, I remember, Nathaniel, I think it is, he's a man without guile. In other words, you're just who you are, and you're just out there. So sometimes that's a really good thing, and sometimes it's not a good thing. But what he's done, he's really brought redemption to your life. And so you understand that when it says, blessed is the man. I am blessed because God is interacting with me and changing who I am. He's growing you up in the faith in a powerful way to be a leader in the faith. Not to just be namby-pamby about it, but to really touch people's lives. I saw you being a man's man, being able to talk to people who think that they have their life in order and they don't. And they come to you because their life is out of order. And you have some wisdom he's given you. You know, you do that, there's, there's a cause and effect. You do that, it'll bite you in the butt. You know, right? You have those talks, don't you? And it's because that's the way God made you. He made you to be a testimony. I said, but you have unbridled passion but you keep it kind of, you play it close to the vest and stuff. But it does not mean that passion is not a part of who you are. Not, I'm not very expressive, but I'm a passionate person. And he has made you to be a passionate follower of him. And he's redeemed you for that purpose. And I said, you're ready to run the race. And what I saw, I saw a horse in the starting gates of a race. And the stinking thing wants to jump over and get ahead of everybody else. And just bucking, and, and the Lord goes, it's not time. It's not time. I will tell you when the time is. I'll tell you how to run the race and stuff. But that unbridled passion is hard to deal with because it tortures you at times, doesn't it? And I know that feeling, by the way. And I, I wrote this. What plays out in the prayer room will play out in the streets. In other words, God called you to be intimate with him and to hear his heart. And he'll tell you about the people that are around you. And he'll tell you how he cares about them and what he wants to do in their life. And then when you begin to talk to him, that passion that you have will come out with them. And you will be that in the streets. You know, there's a guy that, I, that I've met, and he's, a, a, well, he's in his 70s now, probably almost 80. But he has all these Grammys and all this, you know, platinum records and all this kind of stuff. But he's, he's a musician, but he's won all this stuff. 
And he said at one point he got saved, and so he went to work for a large ministry as a worship leader because he's really good. Seven years later, he, he says, Lord, why did I not enjoy this? He says, I never asked you to do this. I asked you to be on the stage. So he went back and won a whole bunch more platinum stuff, led a whole bunch of people in the music industry to the Lord. But for a year, the Lord told him, sit in your room, turn your face to the wall, and worship me. That's all you'll do. So for a year, he sang to a wall. And he said, when God told him it's time to go back to the platform, he says, but I like my bedroom with my face to the wall more. Intimacy is what made him strong. And I see the same thing around you. What you do privately with him becomes a public expression at some point. Does it make sense? Yep. But there's a great calling over your life to touch a lot of people, to disciple people. You know, God told me one time, we were talking about the whole thing of 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he goes, what do you want to be? And I go, uh, actually, I'd like to be left alone, but you probably want me to say 100, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And he said, but you misunderstand something. And I go, what's that? He said, I never called you to make converts. I called you to make disciples. In other words, you invest your time and your energy with them. And it will change their life and it will change yours in the process. Because he's also called you to teach, to be a teacher, to instruct. And there's different ways of teaching. One's instructing, which is con conversations are wonderful. Have you ever known to sit down and have a conversation? You can do so much more because you answer the questions that are pertinent to them. So, can I pray for you? Yeah. Is this okay? Oh, yeah. Makes sense to you? Yeah. It makes sense? Is that yours back there? Is that the woman that thou gavest me back there? <laughs> That's my better half. Oh. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good half, too. Or you're at least. <laughs> so, Father, we thank you for Matt. And thank you that you've called him in such a way and you've created a passion in him that's unquenchable. It is unquenchable. It says in this passage that um, don't be like a, a horse that has to have a bit in its mouth. Just let, your, let the sensitivities placed in you rule your life. Let it rule your life. So, Father, we thank you. I just ask that you continue to grow him up in the, the deeper things of the Lord and bring him to a place of instructing many, that he would touch many, and in particular manly men, that they would come to him for counsel and that you would open the doors and that he would be doing ordinary things and the extraordinary God would break free and put him in a place of changing lives, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank Thanks you. for letting me play with you. Sorry, because it's not on him. Oh, God. <laughs> wipes, wipes. No, kidding. <laughs> Does this make sense, guys? Okay. Well, it's probably about time for me to quit. Can I just do one more thing here? We are to preach. Well, I, I don't want to drag it on. I'm, I'm an easy guy. You know. It says the last thing it says is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. And that's the year of Jubilee. And what happened if you were in a Jewish society and for some reason you got in financial trouble or something, you could actually indenture yourself to somebody. They would take your land. You would be without land, but they would take care of you. You would become a servant, a bond servant. You had chosen to do it, and they would help you. But in the 50th year, in the 50th year, it was called the year of Jubilee, and everything that had been taken from somebody was given back to them. 
So if you had lost your land 25 years ago and you had worked for this person for 25 years, they would give your land back to you. It was, called, it was the year of restoration. Everything would be restored to you that had been lost. That is a great principle. That is a great principle. So it's the year of Jubilee and that this was announced. And God is, is about redeeming things that have been lost. Things that, that have, have been sometimes snatched out of our hands. Sometimes we have freely given it up. But God will come and redeem in your life. And the biggest thing he's going to redeem is what we have given away spiritually. He will redeem that. That's why he died on the cross. It's to break the power of what we have done with sin. That's the simplest message you can have. And I think it's really important for us to understand that God really does want to redeem terrible situations, but it is his job to tell you what he will redeem. One of my favorite stories is I have a friend that was in an investment group and they were doing awesome stuff. They actually invested in all these projects all over the world. And then they would, the, first, the top 20% of what they made was given to missions that they had agreed upon. The next 10%, they could choose a different mission that was different than the, the, the mission of the overall group. They were making millions, like hundreds of millions of dollars. The guy that ran the thing actually stole the money, hit it offshore, stole $54 million that were sitting in the kitty. He's in prison right now, <laughs> he and his wife both, because they were both complicit. Now these, these are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's the sad thing. That's the first sad thing. But one of my friends was devastated. I mean, he lost so much money. He went from being very, very wealthy to being poor. Poor. <laughs> I'm going, sorry, sorry. I, I almost got in on it because I was seeing what they were doing. I thought, this is awesome. I mean, not only are, are you making money as an investment, but it's investing in the kingdom. It devastated gobs of missionaries. It was an awful situation. And by the way, we have too many of those in the church. If you get involved in that, kick yourself in the rear and repent. <laughs> so it's not a get rich money scheme. But one day I'm driving home and I'm thinking about John and in my mind's eye, I saw me walking down the sidewalk and there was a coin on the ground. And I go, okay. So I pick it up and I realize I'm John. So I look at the coin and the Lord goes, whose face is on there? I go, uh, Lincoln. So it's a penny. Okay. So then I see myself, you know, I'm driving while I'm doing this. You know, People go, how do you do that? I don't know. So I'm, I'm walking again and there's a bill. And so I pick the bill up and who's, he goes, whose face is on that? I go, Lincoln. He goes, call John and tell him he will turn Lincolns to Lincolns. That's a huge increase, isn't it? Think about that. That's a huge increase. And so I called John. And I go, John, this is what I saw. And so he would call me about every two weeks. And he'd go, I know a man that called and said I would turn fives into pennies. <laughs> and he would call me, I know a man. <laughs> that said I would turn five into pennies. And I go, John, John, you know, you know, is the word of the Lord. And he go, no, he said, I am living in poverty. And then one day he called, he says, I know a man that said I would turn pennies into fives. And I said, what happened? And he had, he had bought a piece of ground in Kansas City for $90,000 and got a great deal. It was 120 acres for that much. Think about that, that's pretty good. And some guy walked up to, and he built a house on it. Some guy walked up, knocked on the door, 
and said, and he bought it for hunting. He's a hunter. Man, this guy's a passionate hunter. And he'll kill anything, so just don't mess with him. <laughs> but he goes, he said, the guy knocked him. I said, are you interested in selling this piece of land? This is really good land. And he goes, uh, no. He said, I bought it. I'm going to live here, and I'm going to die here. And he said, well, I'd like to offer you $1.4 million for it. He goes, I think I could probably do that. <laughs> so the guy carved out a space for him to keep his house and some acreage for him, and then he sold the rest of it. And then he called, he called me back one day, and he goes, Jackie and I are talking, and he said, there's an opportunity to buy this piece of property. And um, he said, should we do it? And Jackie had res reservations, and I didn't think they were legitimate, but I said, well, I'll ask the Lord, because that's not my choice. And so I asked the Lord, I'm driving home again. And so I go, Lord, what would you say? And he gave me a verse. I look it up and it says, whatever you put your hands to will prosper. I said, buy it. So I, and, and by the way, Jackie, trust me, does not trust her husband. <laughs> but trust me. So they buy the piece of property for 600000 And he sells it about three months later for an additional $300,000. And then at the end of a year and a half, he had made three and a half million dollars dollars that is restoration that is jubilee that is jubilee isn't that incredible because God has our back he had our back on the cross and not just in finances in everything that we do can I pray a general prayer over you guys Father I just thank you thank you for an opportunity to be with these folks and I just ask that you would literally stir up your activity around us so strong that we cannot ignore what you're trying to say to people. That you would let us be your hands and your feet that touch our communities, that touch the people in our jobs, that touch the people in our homes, that touch the people everywhere, Lord. I ask this week would be full of the miraculous in that way. In your name we pray. Amen.